0: Back. We back in this, bitch. Another podcast for that ass. Another grito. Yeah, sea, dicho. Coming about a week's time since my previous podcast. We're going to call this progress, homie, okay? And, um, yeah, there's no need to beat around the bush. Let's just get right into it, because I got about 16 pages worth of shit that I'm trying to get to you. And, you know, if it takes fucking however long it takes, right? I'm going to try to get, get through it in one. If I feel the need like it needs to be broken up, then maybe I might break it up into part one, part two. But the honest truth is, I'm in the midst right now of uh, of a deconstructing an entire whole ass book. So realistically, there's gonna be more than just a part one, part two. This is gonna be like a this is gonna be a motherfucker of a, of a of a series, dog. I'm starting a new series for y'all. All right, and it's gonna be on Jung, Carl Gustav Jung. Right? Uh, it's some shit that I've always been interested on the, on the low tip but I've never actually delved into deeply in, in for this podcast for sure. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> like I said, dog, right now, currently I'm just podcasting where I'm at. And for whatever reason, Young just happened to speak to my soul, if you will. Right. And uh, I just felt, yo, it's time. dog. Let's do a motherfucking let's do a Young podcast, homie. And uh, I actually sat down to, you know, I was on a complete whole ass different part of the book. Um, and I didn't even plan on fucking doing a, a young podcast. So the way it, it kind of just happened organically before we get into the story. Let's get the semantics out the way. If you haven't already follow your boy, uh, is it OG dot ice? Nice 13, something like that on, on, on Instagram, basically just on YouTube now. Right. But whatever, like I'm there, right? I got to start posting inevitably again. Um, just, just waiting, waiting for the right moment to jump back into this bitch and start rebuilding after the heartbreak of getting my old account zucked, Right. Just have to psych myself up uh, in order to, you know, start from the bottom all over again. No worries. I'll get there soon enough. Right. So that's the formalities. Now let's get straight into the podcast. Uh, well, I guess another formality is shout out all you motherfuckers listening to this shit. Just know that as always, I do appreciate that. Right. So, yeah, um, I was on a different part of the book, dog. And it's like I literally just picked it up. I, I was just it, it was I needed something to read at the time. Right. And all the books that I'm currently working through at the moment, none of them are really, you know, like "Ah, that. I wasn't like, ah, I feel like reading that right now. Right. But uh, this one, for whatever reason, I haven't even looked at it in over like a year, dog, Uh, basically since the passing of my brother, you know, (laughs) and uh, it just spoke to me. I was like, oh, cool. I'll pick this shit up. Right. And uh, I just picked up where I had left off a while ago. And uh, what I was working through, it just really started to trip me out, dog, because it kind of just happened to coincide with a lot of what I've been dealing with, not dealing with, but like a lot of what I've been thinking through myself personally. Uh, Prior to having done so. And that is just, I've been tripping a lot on Cholo culture, homie. Okay. Let's get straight to it. i have just been I have, I've been tripping a lot on Cholo culture and uh, my place in it. Okay. Because for the longest time I'm starting to realize now more than ever, I've struggled with accepting that part of myself for a long time, dog, for a variety of reasons. Okay. And uh, for one, it's because honestly, homie, like I sincerely despised it when I was growing up. I fucking hated Cholo culture when I was growing up. I was deeply immersed in it uh you know what I mean and I I fucking I grew to hate it I just hated everything about it okay and um I can never really explain why but you know and you know looking at when I was there like I couldn't explain like why I hated it I would just say like oh you guys are fucking stupid like you guys what the fuck like grow up already. yeah, we're like in seventh grade I'm telling motherfuckers to grow up right um but uh <laughs> that's actually not seventh grade it's more like fucking freshman year of high school right but still pretty young to be telling people like we gotta grow up dog this shit's fucking whack you know what I mean like we gotta move on beyond this you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, at the time, I didn't realize realistically where a lot of those emotions came from. But, you know, in retrospect, looking back on it, I realized that a lot of it was predicated on fear, homie. All right. And expe- uh, specifically the fear that you experience when you're trying to navigate your way through Cholo culture. Right. So it's like it's not even just fear, like your physical safety, because that is that is a fucking very real fear. OK, when you're fucking afraid of getting jumped. OK, because you have on one hand. People who want you to join their gang and you don't want to join the gang, right? So they're gonna fuck you up. And on the other hand, you have uh, you know people who are in gangs that want to fuck you up for no reason, and you don't have anybody like to back you up because you yourself aren't in a gang. You're a, you're a wonder, you're right, you're just one of one. So there's that, right? But there's also like the fear of being excluded for not joining the homies in the gang, right? The social ostracization that we've been talking about at length in this, you know, throughout this podcast, and we've been keeping up with it. That, that that's where a lot of that comes from for me personally. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm the one giving you this message. It's not a new message by any stretch of the imagination. But if you've kept up with m- this podcast then it's coming from my experience and my experience came from, you know, the ostracization that I faced when I finally, you know, turned my back on the homies and I was like, I can't keep doing this, dog. You know what I mean? So there's there's that kind of fear right there. The loneliness inherent with all that kind of shit. You have these friends that you grew up with and now suddenly you're like divorcing yourself from them. Of course, there's going to be some fucking fear inherent with that. You know what I mean? Uh, And not to not to mention the loneliness and isolation type shit. But, uh, you know, it's also fear of all uh, (laughs) the fear of it's more than just, you know, like, again, just the fear of physical harm or the fear of like the emotional uh, alienation that you might fear uh, feel rather. It's also fear of shit like ending up in jail, dog, because, you know, the gang lifestyle and the environment, you know, that we were living in is conducive to, you know, ending up there, the school to prison pipeline. It's also the fear of ending up addicted to drugs and alcohol, and just ultimately the fear of being an overall waste of potential. Like so many of the people I grew up with, dog, so many of the kids that we grew up with, dog. so many people that people that I grew up with, they were they were good people and they were very talented people. They were intelligent people, but along the way, as we start to get a little bit older, we go from being there's that great SPM song. SPM, I have a very difficult relationship with him, you know, just in, in given you know his history, but. He does he does a really good job of rapping the fucking the the hood, you know what I mean? And there's that one song on his album, Never Change, where he goes something along the lines of beautiful kids making on roll. Ten years later, they on parole, habitual, criminal, mad at the world, because it's all they know, right? Like that's a beautiful summation of the struggle. Dog, you see, we we grew up with these kids, I grew up with these kids. And, you know, we're in elementary school, even a little bit in middle school, and we the, the world is fucking so full of potential. But then, you know, the external environmental forces start to come into play. The collisions, if you will, that we have to use the Jungian language with the external world start to come into play. And, you know, shit just starts to spiral from there. Our free will gets, you know, hijacked in a sense. And we start to fucking fall victim to a lot of the traps that were laid out for us growing up in the hood. Right. And, um, for me personally, dog, like, for me personally, since I was young, education was sincerely, it was always an escape from all that. Still to this day, like, I am thankful for the role that education has played in my life. I've come to recognize, you know, that perhaps getting a college degree isn't as important as we were. It's not. Like, I'm I'm being fucking nice right now, but it's just not, dog. There's so there's There's ways to fucking, there's ways to make it in this world that don't involve getting a fucking doctorate degree. Like, and that's just facts, bro. There's ways of making it in this world that don't involve getting, let alone a master's degree, let alone a fucking bachelor's degree. Okay. Especially if you're getting it in fucking the liberal arts, because that's essentially a waste of time. Like what I did, I can admit it now. Like, damn, I fucking wasted my time, dog. I should have gone to be a STEM major, if anything. Right. Or after, you know, my undergrad school, I should have gone to be a lawyer or a doctor or some shit instead of fucking continuing along this tradition. I don't, I'm not mad at it. Right. I'm more fati. You embrace your fate. You love your fate. Right. But now I'm at the point where I can honestly say, as opposed to, you know, five years ago when I was an extreme elitist, shout out to my boy Milhouse, because he helped me realize how you know bad I was at this. <laughs> um, five years ago, I would have been like, You're fucking stupid. You need a college degree to make it in this world. And if you don't have a college degree, you're not gonna fucking you're not gonna survive. That was severely misguided on my behalf, right? But Regardless, for me personally, still, despite those new feelings that I have uh, uh, pertaining to education and, you know, college degrees in general, I still maintain that education for me is like a saving grace. And it always has been. I I value learning. I value teaching. That's why I'm a fucking teacher. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I still continue to fucking educate myself, even though I'm not even in school anymore. All right. The whole fucking quote that truly educated, never graduate type shit. Okay, Um, But, you know, back in the day when I was a kid, like education, that was my way out, dog. (laughs) it it was actually a saving grace and i'll tell you i'll talk about it here a little bit shortly right but the basic idea is that uh, so what all right here's how you saw it unfolded dog uh most of my elementary school i was i was deeply immersed in the in, in the gang culture but i was never like fucking forced if you will into joining an actual gang proper like i hung around with some fucking i hung around with some dudes that were already even in elementary school doing wild shit dog some of them were already in middle school, but the point is, like, they were already doing crazy shit. I remember one instance in particular. I'm not sure if I've already shared it, but if I have, it bears repeating. Uh, there was a, an abandoned ditch in front of the fucking uh, the apartment complex where we used to live when we were kids. And some of my homies lit that bitch on fire. And it wasn't, like, a small ditch, bro. And it wasn't a ditch just completely removed, like, from the rest of the city. It was, we lived <laughs> right on the other side of the freeway. So this was a ditch that the ditch basically separated our apartment complex where all of us lived from the freeway. Okay, and these motherfuckers lit that shit on fire, bro. And again, it was not a small ditch. It was at least it was it was more than an acre for sure. It was a huge, huge ditch. And it's funny because it was like right next to a gas company. But I'm pretty sure there was no gas there anyways. But the point is, that's just one small example, like arson, (laughs) basically. Right. That could have jeopardized the lives of many people. And these motherfuckers lit that shit on fire for fun, okay? So that, that was I was, like, in fourth grade, maybe? No, I was in third grade when this happened. Um, And, you know, I was hanging around with people, and still to this day, like, when I keep up with them, you see what they've, what they've become, and it's just like, damn, man, that's fucked up. Like, it's fucked up that this this ended up being, you know, the, the roll of the dice that you were given, but as we'll talk about later, like, a lot of that has to do with their choices as well, okay? Anyways, the point is, That uh, when I was in elementary school, it wasn't like forced pressure to like to join a gang so much of like, yeah, we're hanging around with a bunch of homies and, you know, they're doing some wild shit and we could partake if we wanted to. But for the most part, you know, we're still kids. We're having fun. We're out there playing football and shit, right? But when I got to middle school, that's when shit started to get a little bit more serious because now you're surrounded by older kids, you know, who are already fucking in that shit. And now they're starting to put the pressure on you, okay? And that's kind of where the majority of my sixth grade year started until just by random chance bro it wasn't by random chance like i was a fucking troublemaking kid but uh i was also fucking smart right and uh as much as the teachers fucking hated me they realized that okay this fucking asshole he's actually he's not stupid right so they wound up putting me in the gifted and talented program at the middle school that we were in long story short right (laughs) and uh it's actually pretty funny because uh when i got put in the gifted and talented program i this was the first time that i experienced the reality that your boy is too fucking academic for the hood and too hood for academia that was the first time that i realized i'm neplanta homie i do not fit in either one of these motherfuckers <laughs> all right because like the quote-unquote smell the quote-unquote smart kids they did not fucking like me at all because you know the whole pre- uh, reputation had already preceded itself okay um I mean, I don't blame them. Those are fucking kids we used to make fun of and pick on, right? It's my first fight was a kid from a a gifted and talented program. It was some fucking nerd, right? And basically what happened is the homies that I was kicking it with, I got, so this is, I had already been initiated into the gang, right? But uh, one of the very first things they had me do is like start a fight with somebody and they picked that motherfucker right there. I can still remember like to this day. Uh, And they were like, you got to go fight that dude right there. And I was like, all right, fuck it. So I went and like, we started like, I just, you know, I beat his ass. He was a fucking kid. He was a fucking nerd, right? It's not my proudest moment, but I'm telling you out of the interest of full disclosure. <laughs> and, um, yeah, like, so my reputation had already preceded myself going into this class with these fucking nerds, right? And, you know, I was a fucking nerd too. That's why I was in there in the first place, but I had a little bit more, quote unquote, troublesome background, right? And, uh, <laughs> so the point is like, they already didn't like me there. And then when I got put into the fucking, the GT program, the homies were already like, you're a fucking nerd. Like, what the fuck? Like, this doesn't make any sense type shit, right? So again, just uh, the example of, of, of the neplanta, right? The middle, the, the being lost, in the, not lost, but being stuck in the middle, if you will. Uh, it just takes some time, little bit of in the middle, that whole shit, okay? Um, where, you know, too academic for the hood, too hood for academia. Like the academic shit is funny, dog, for the hood because there'd be times when, you know, I really wanted to step into my fucking, into my power, if you will. Right. And, and, and with the homies, because like I said, they're not dumb. They're not they're These aren't stupid people. You see a Cholo and immediately we assume is a fucking un, 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 uneducated, unintelligent person. But it's not true. Right. Uh, but I think more of what it is, is that they're just unwilling to. They're unwilling to be themselves, honestly. And that's another one of the that's one of the uh, another one of the beefs that I had with Cholo culture is like I didn't feel as though there was any room for individual uh, individuality. It was very, you know. It was very cut and dry, defined already. What was a cholo? You either had the slick-backed hair or you were bald. You wore the dickies, you wore the, the fucking, the Cortez, and you wore, you know what I mean, the undershirt, the three flowers, the little pocket comb, all that kind of shit. You had your culture, you were a Cowboys fan. It was so much shit about growing up in cholo culture that was already predetermined for you. And I found that there wasn't a lot of wiggle room there. But a lot of that had to do with the fear and, uh, that I just spoke about earlier of alienation that many cholos felt. So I guess the best way to explain this is there's that very famous trope, if you will, about the cholos who are always asking people like, hey, fool, you're a rocker, huh? Or do a kickflip, fool, that kind of shit. I'm telling you, dog, that shit right there, that stems. This is my Jungian interpretation, if you will, before we even get into the Jungian philosophy, right? Uh, That shit stems from the desire for cholos to want to be the rocker. That shit stems from the desires of the cholos to want to be the skater. But the fear inherent with leaving the cholo culture behind and then becoming the rocker and then their home be being like, oh, fool, what the fuck? You're a pinchy leva, Homes Like, ugh, you know, all that kind of stupid shit. <laughs> right. So instead of having to deal with that, they would just rather fucking be the cholo and never skate, never become the rocker, et cetera. Right. Um, and that, that, that's kind of what I'm saying is that, you know, I would want to step into my fucking power and like talk about and, you know, shit like, damn, dog, the best example that I can give you <laughs> Is I I I was introduced to Prince at a very young age, and uh, I, what always mar what I was always amazed by, what I was always marveled by with Prince, is that he was the dude. Like he did everything, dog. He fucking wrote the music, he composed the music, he played the instruments, he fucking obviously sang. Like he was a bad motherfucker, you know what I mean? And ever since a young age, I've always I've always appreciated people that have mad talent, and Prince was obviously mad talented, right? So there was like one time when I'm trying to explain to the home, we're listening there, like we're sitting there listening to Wu-Tang and shit, right? All stoned to the bone, fucking a bunch of little shitty little fucking mid- uh, middle school turds. Uh, you know what I mean? And uh, we're ja- you know jamming the fucking Wu-Tang and then, you know, the, the, the CD, the song ends. And they're like, what are we going to listen to next? And I'm like, yo, we should listen to some Prince, right? <laughs> and these motherfuckers look at me like, yo, what the fuck? What's wrong with you, dog? You gay or something? Like, why the fuck would you want to listen to Prince? And, you know... I want to listen to Prince because he's a bad motherfucker who makes bad fucking music. You know what I mean? But y'all are so caught up in this gangster persona, this cholo persona, that you can't even appreciate fucking talent because you're, you're committed to this role that you're playing. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, dog, that, that, that that's what I mean, like, with this whole net planta shit, like, never trying to, never really fitting in, okay? And this, by the way, this has been a common theme that, you know, has extended still to this day, as far as my... My, uh, the, the middle ground that I play when it comes to trying to be a, a fucking academic, right? And, uh, uh, just me, like me, actually me, right? <laughs> uh, it, it hasn't gone away. It's, uh, you know, when I fucking, you know, show up to an actual academic conference, when I was in my PhD program, you know what I mean? Even, uh, I guess, around some of my fucking uh, colleagues, dog, it's like there's this whole little Privileged circle jerk when it comes to academia, where we fancy ourselves as you know, you know somehow better than the average person because we're we're quote unquote educated, okay. And then you have someone that comes in and it's just like, well, I mean, it just really depends on what 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 you determine education is and intelligence is, right? And if writing a bunch of papers and reading a bunch of books is your measurement for both, like I don't really know if that's true. You know what I'm saying? I mean. Me personally, I can fucking, I can dissect and deconstruct to you some of the most abstract fucking text that I've ever been, you know, with the, some of the most complicated ideas that have ever been created. But I can't fix a fucking car. You know what I'm saying? So you might like to think to ourselves like, oh, we're so much better than a mechanic. But if your fucking car breaks down, who the fuck, what are you going to do? You're going to go to a mechanic. And guess what is more, if worse, worse yet, like if the fucking, if the world collapses... No one's going to come looking for an academic and be like, hey, what does Kierkegaard think about the, 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 the teleological suspension of the ethical, right? They're going to be looking for a fucking mechanic that can fix their cars. They're going to be looking for a fucking farmer that can grow their food type shit. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying, like this whole circle jerk. Like, I, you know, in academia, it's very guarded, very secluded. And you come in with these real world problems and you try to share them with people and they're like, what? This, this, this is not what we're concerned with here. Right. But at the same time, like the obverse is true where you do learn some pretty dope shit in academia, like Young, for instance, you wouldn't be listening to his podcast if you weren't interested in that kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you go back to the homies and you try to explain it to them like, yo, dog, according to, you know, according to Young, the reason why so many of us are here in the hood still strapped or still well, still strapped for sure, but still fucking uh, 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 trapped is because we have not recon- we can have not reconciled the the inherent traumas that we've experienced that our ego has experienced with trying to navigate our way through the hood, and if we want to fucking survive and try to break these cycles, maybe we should do some shadow work to try to <laughs> maybe we should do some shadow work to try to fucking you know avail ourselves to becoming better people that are you know more capable of surviving this fucking trap. It's not gonna happen, dog. They're gonna look at you like, bro, shut the fuck up, okay? Like we're here to fuck bitches and get money, dog. That's it, right? And the whole time you're like, fuck, dog, I don't want to be that weird isolated nerd that, you know, is ostracized because I'm here talking about young. I want to be that motherfucker that is out there fucking bitches and getting money while talking about young at the same time. Like, why can't I be both? Right. (laughs) And of course, the obverse is true. Like, you can't go to academia and be like, dog, all I'm fucking concerned about is trying to fuck bitches and get money. Right. They'll look at you like, oh, my God, you're such a a, a cisgendered, hetero, whatever, heteronormative, fucking misogynistic turd. All you're concerned about is material wealth. You're such a fucking capitalist. Uh, Marx would be deeply ups- offended with you, right? It's like, okay, dog. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why can't it be a little bit of both? Why can't you say, like, fuck capitalism, but I'm still gonna try to get money to survive type shit, right? Anyways, all of that is just a long-winded way of saying, again, like too academic for the hood, too hood for academia. Like it's just that neplanta ground. You know what I'm saying? Which brings us to the second way, and <laughs> Which uh, brings us to the second way that this whole cholo culture has been fucking with me. All right, so just a quick uh, summarization: the first way is like I this is how I grew up, but this is what I wanted to be, and I had a very hard time like coalescing the two. I grew up as a cholo, but I wanted to be a fucking academic, right? And uh, in both ways, like from you know from my in a personal level, like I couldn't bring in the academic background from an academic professional level. I couldn't bring in the cholo background. It was just fucking just weird. Like always that tension with myself, right? And, uh, which brings us to the second way that this cholo shit fucked with me. And that is in terms of, again, coalescing my cholo background. And, you know, that is that this whole, this, this whole process I undertook. Right. <laughs> I actually, it's as silly as it sounds, bro. I try to fucking look and play the part as well. Dress the part. Right. It's part of the reason why still to this day, I got motherfuckers who look at me and like, that I grew up with. And be like, man, fuck that fool. He changed on us. Like he thinks he's better than us and all that kind of shit, which to be fair, right. To be fair they're not fucking lying, right? But they are bitch made for feeling that way. Just so we're 100% clear. If you're any of my fucking old homies from back in the day who's listening to this and you feel as though and I'm talking about like way back in the day, right? I'm talking about like fucking middle school, elementary school, maybe even a little bit of high school, right? But if especially the ones that we grew up in the hood together, specifically, I should say. I mean, you if by chance you're listening to this, which I don't see why you would be because, well, who cares? If you're listening to it, you're listening to it, right? um but if you do feel that way like good dog you're a bitch made motherfucker for feeling that way like if we're being honest because it's like yeah homie like i am better than fucking i am better than than having to feel as though i have to dress like a cholo in order to convey an idea right i am better than fucking wanting to live in the gutter than living in the gutter period i am better than fucking beating my baby's mama dog or you know being strung out on heroin and asking people to fucking if i can mow their lawn and shit just so i could pay my child support i'm sorry. That you don't feel the same, okay? Like, <laughs> it is what it is, right? Anyways, as silly as it sounds, as silly as it sounds, I did start trying to play the part of a quote-unquote intellect, right? As well as hoping that there would be, you know, I was hoping that doing so would help mask my roots, right? But it was just inauthentic as fuck, homie. There's, it, there's always this one saying that I, was, uh, that I was told when I was in third grade by uh, uh, our teacher, And it's because she called us out on our little little cliques, little gangs that we were forming, right? And what she told me or what she told us as a class collectively is that if you look like a duck, if you walk like a duck, and if you talk like a duck, then you are a duck, right? So that shit always stuck with me because obviously she wasn't saying duck. She meant cholos. It was a little little metaphor, right? And uh, in in my mind, the idea was that, well, if I don't want to be... If I'm trying to escape this chola background, I got to fucking play the part. Right? I got to start looking like a duck and talking like a duck, right? And ugh, there's like cringe-ass pictures of me from back in the day, like not too far back in the day, talking about like 10, 15 years ago, or like in neon polos and plaid shirts and fucking flip-flops, dog. And I was just like, ugh, why are you trying to dress like a white guy from the suburbs, okay? You don't need to dress like a white guy from the suburbs in order to distance yourself as much as possible from the, the fucking culture that you grew up in, right? But again subconsciously, subconsciously, I was doing so because I thought it was necessary, mistakenly, right? I mistakenly thought that that was necessary in order to come to overcome this alleged deficit that I felt I needed to overcome. I say alleged deficit because, you know, my whole life I was made to feel as though being fucking growing up poor, growing up in the hood and all that kind of shit was a deficit that I needed to overcome. But now that I'm older, I realize, like, that's my greatest strength. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, that shit armed me with a way of navigating the world that very few people have, right? And that it's, it's about not overcoming the asset, but embracing that fucking strength and, you know, using it to my advantage, right? Anyways... This, again, is just, but some of the shit in my past that's led me to, you know, where I am today with my relationship with Cholo culture, which, you know, by the way, I should say that it's a lot more healthier now than ever before, okay? In fact, I can honestly say that I admire our Cholo culture more than ever, dog, right? And honestly, a small part of me, a small part of me laments the loss of it, you right? know, the the absence, I guess, I'm not completely lost, right, but the absence of Cholo culture, Right. I, I never thought I would say this, homie. I, I really never thought I would say this, that I'd miss Chola culture, right? Right now, just off the top of my mind, I'm thinking about when we grew up, you know, where we, where we grew up uh, in the Lincoln Heights area here in central El Paso, right? I'm thinking about like, there was a drive-by once, it was multiple drive-bys. Like, this is real shit, dog. And uh, there was one in particular drive-by, <laughs> right? Where my uncle was out there with a bunch of his homies posted up on the block. We were already asleep, right? But the idea that you would miss something like a fucking drive-by, it's weird, dog, because again, this is, this is the shit that people who glamorize cholo culture now, they don't understand. They didn't live through. They don't fucking have any context of it. They could see it on a movie, but it's a fucking movie. It's not real. This was like real life shit with real potential consequences. You know what I mean? And to, you know, it, when you're growing up, you're like, fuck, dude, I hate this shit. I hate the in, the, the fear that this kind of culture is instilling in me. Like, I just want to fucking live a normal life. Why do I got to worry? be worried about people fucking creeping up in a car and fucking blasting us? Because... They don't fucking like the clothes we're wearing. This is so stupid, right? But um yeah, that's where I'm at now. It's like a little bit of me is lamenting its absence. Not of the drive-bys of, per se, but just like the cholo culture. And the reason why is not because I wish for it to come back. Like, no, dude, it's gone. Like, it's not gone, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not as prominent as it was before. But it was, for better or for worse, again, amor fati, right? It was a history of our city, dog. And more importantly, it was a history of our culture that, again, for better or worse, it's slowly fading away. And, you know, while there's great people out there that are doing amazing work and capturing its remaining essence, my lament is that it will just be relegated to the dustbins of history and all the stories of the people who fucking went with it gone. Just gone. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, all we'll be left with is the fucking Hollywood or "Fool's Gone Wild interpretation. By the way, I love fucking "Fool's Gone Wild, just so we're clear, right? But that's obviously more, it's more of, of not a parody per se, but it's just like a, it's more comedic in turn, right? But um, there's shit that people went through, dog, that is not funny at all. And, you know, a lot of what their struggle, you know, a lot of what the struggle that they went through is what is responsible for us collectively as a Chicano culture being where we are today, right? Um, And that's kind of a little bit of what the lament is, is the understanding that, you know, cholo culture is cholo culture, homie. You know it is what it is, and that while not all Chicanos are Cholos, every single fucking Cholo is a Chicano dog, except for those dudes in Asia, okay, that are copying the stilo and don't really know, right? They don't—they don't count. They're just cosplaying, okay? Like, yeah, I got love for you. Don't get me twisted. Like, I'm not one of those fucking social fake woke social justice warriors, like talking about you culture. You're appropriating my culture, man. You want to dress like a fucking Cholo, you know? You want to fucking work nine to five at your banking job and then get off and you know fucking larp as a cholo by all means dog do your thing but you're not you're you're not really a cholo (laughs) you know what i'm saying um anyways the whole point is here that every fucking cholo is a chicano dog so if you're gonna say that you know you have love for chicano culture that means accepting all parts of all all parts of our culture right even the ugly parts because as ugly as they can be they still have their own beautiful things to offer dog right like Lowriders, oldies, asadas on Sunday cruises, bro. Like that's just beautiful as fuck, man. And you know, you you just gotta take the good with the bad, I guess. Anyways, that's just a long-winded way of saying the point that I was trying to get to is the tension between me and chola culture, right? And how a big part of that, uh a big part of it was the intelligence that I, you know, that I that I had at a young age to look around and just realize the trap that we're in. And, you know, coupled with the unwillingness to settle, like, I didn't want to settle for that, bro. I, uh, you know, <laughs> I want it out. I want it out of the fucking trap. And like, I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm fucking the most successful person because I'm not. There's people that I went to school with. There's people who I grew up with who are far more successful for me than me rather. And I have nothing but love and fucking appreciation for those people. I'm happy for them. Like, fuck yeah, dog. I'm glad you made it out. Right. But, uh, I- it's not also to say that I'm still stuck in the hood fucking thankfully. Right. Or that I'd ever want to go back. I have nightmares about going back to the hood. Like, no, nah, fuck that. I never want to be living like that ever again, right? Uh, I want it out. And me personally, again, I saw education as a way of doing so. And it was weird as fuck, you know, trying to be that dude, again, who's talking to the homies in fucking, you know, eighth grade about how Jung is telling us that the reason all of our parents and inevitably us, because we're going to we're gonna, re- we're gonna re- re- perpetuate this cycle, Right. Uh, Like, honestly, dog, no fucking joke. I knew an alcoholic at sixth grade. The first time I had a swig of beer, well, that's not the first time, right? The first, first times was like growing up with my uncle and shit. You know, you've seen this, dog. You've seen this in the movies and just for it to actually... That's why this movie, like, it resonates so deeply with us, uh, Menace to Society, where he's posted up. he's He's a young kid at the very beginning and the dude offers him a swig from his 40 ounce, right? And then he fast forwards, you know, and he's going through his life and realizing all the shit that he's gone through. And then he still finds himself in that same position, being the older kid, being the older dude, now giving a swig of beer to the younger dude from his 40. Like, that's how I had my first fucking swig of beer. My uncle would always give us the corner of his bottle. Like, here you go, dog, drink it, right? Like, oh, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, one of the very, like, one of the very first prominent memories that I have of, like, alcohol drinking outside of our, our, our outside of our family, like, cookouts and shit was after, after class one day. There was a kid... Dog, this dude, we were like in sixth grade, seventh grade. He, I'm saying he was in seventh grade. I know for a fact I was in sixth grade. So if he wasn't in seventh grade, he was either in sixth or seventh, right? Anyways, this motherfucker. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of uh, context into the situation. The school that we went to was right by a corner store, and we would always go in with all our homies and steal from that corner store. One of them figured out once how to, they they figured out how to steal cigarettes and shit, Right. All you had to do was, like, ask the lady for something in the back. And as soon as she would turn her back, like, boom, you just reach up and walk out with cigarettes. So we were uh, uh, drinking and smoking cigarettes already at that young age because from the cigarettes and moved on to beer runs and shit. You know what I mean? Like, just little fucking shitheads, realistically. (laughs) Um, I had one homie, like, had a really huge jacket and he would just walk in and, like, literally, like, that brazenly just put shit in his fucking jacket and walk out, right? Anyway, so... It wasn't difficult to get fucking cigarettes, alcohol, let alone drugs. Like, we would find out soon enough, right? But uh, I remember, like, this motherfucker, after, like, after school, we, we were walking through the ditch. And he was just been there all day drinking. And we're like, what the fuck? This dude, we're, like, in sixth grade. And this motherfucker's already drunk. And he was like, here, homie, you want some of the beer? And I was like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> and I took a swig of the beer because I wanted to fit in. I was a stupid-ass little kid. I, wa- I wanted to be part of the crew. And I remember drinking and feeling like so, like, Ugh, disgusted by it, right? Anyways... Going back to that shit, like, I want to talk to the homies in eighth grade and, you know, tell them, like, yo, again, the reason Young is telling us that we're going to perpetuate this cycle while we're going to end up the fucking alcoholic losers is because of an unconscious desire that we all have to regress to an infantile state of non-responsibility, right? This is that unconscious shit, right, we're talking about. But uh, most of them, if we're being honest, they'd give me the fucking fluoridated muggle look. Like, again, bro, what the fuck are you babbling on about? Stop, you know, stop talking about this or we're going to quit inviting you out with us, Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just typical quit scaring the hose type shit, man. Right. And, you know, I didn't want to be the guy that scares the hose. Like I said before, I wanted to fit in with the homies while we picked up girls and talked about young. That's what, you know, what I mean? that's, what, that's what I wanted to be. Right. Uh, and thankfully, I'm at that point now. And that's exactly what this podcast is going to be about. This is this is what the podcast is going to be about, right? The first entry in a short introduction on the series of Jung, right? Like, I've always wanted to do this shit. Like I said, I've always wanted to talk about Jung. I've always wanted to do it. Like, it's, do it now, dog, right? Uh, while still maintaining the fucking, the, the roots of Hood philosophy. Trying to give you the Jung shit without trying to be all fucking fancy academic nerd about it. You know what I'm saying? So... With that long-winded introduction, I guess the best place to start when it comes to this Jungian shit is by way of a quick overview. Uh, like I said, when I initially started to do this, when I was about to jump into this bitch, realistically, what I was thinking about was my whole Chola shit, right? Like, and then the Jung just... Again, the book had spoke to me, I guess you could say, right? And I initially intended... Here's the book for those of you who are watching, right? Uh, it's called Jung's Map of the Soul by... Who is this dude? What the fuck's his name? Murray Stein, right? Just in case you're interested. Um, But that's what like was that whole cholo shit was on my mind during you know during this particular time frame. And as I was reading this book, like I said, I picked it up. I was I'm, I'm mid, I was already midway through with it, right? So it was on some other shit, and I was like, holy fuck! Like this is speaking to me right now. I gotta write a podcast about this. But then as I uh, as I sat down to actually do the podcast, I, I you know. I was—I realized that where I was, I was already—I was front loading. I was assuming a lot of a foreknowledge with Jungian uh, psychology, right? And I said, you know what, dog, fuck that shit. We gotta start from fucking scratch. We gotta start from the very beginning and treat this shit in a way that you know it gives it its due proper. So, uh, this one particular entry is realistically just all on chapter one of the textbook, right? A quick overview, just uh, an introduction, if you will. Uh, to introduce some of, uh, you know, some Jung to those of you and, you know, who by chance are unfamiliar with his work. And honestly, like I realized how unfamiliar I was with, with his work, too, even though I had already read it. I went back and reread it and I was like, holy shit, like there's a lot of really good shit here that I missed the first time that I read it. Right. And, uh, you know, when I say the overview, just so we're clear, like I don't give a fuck about that nonsense biographical information. Right. If you want that type of shit, dog, you can hit Wikipedia and find out all about when he was born, where he was born. Right. Who the fuck he you know, who he fucked. All that kind of shit. Like you can figure that out like on Wikipedia, right? The shit I'm more interested in with his introduction is like a quick contextualization of his thought, right? And uh, perhaps the most important place to begin is with his schooling, okay? And that is because before he was a Jungian, he himself was a Freudian, right? His ties to Freud, they're they're, they're pretty deep. And you can see this if you read his like Wikipedia and all that kind of shit, right? Uh, so deep that he was proclaimed by Freud to be the crown jewel of his school of thought. And the heir apparent to the International Psychoanalytic Association after Freud would step down, okay? And uh, the point here is that these dudes were fucking homies, dog. They're homies, right? And uh, Jung was well-versed in his psychoanalysis, Freudian psychoanalysis, which is important for the contextualization because this, 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 this friendship, it only lasted for a while, dog. And eventually, the two split ways, acrimoniously, no less, right? It wasn't a good, it wasn't a good breakup. Basically, because Freud insisted on asserting that all all of human actions could be reduced to the inherent desire to fuck, and Jung kind of wanted to move past that. He's like, "Yeah, dog, like the 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 human desire to fuck it's it's very powerful, but there's more at play here, and like we should probably try to focus on that too instead of trying to essentialize all of fucking human nature to just a simple desire to fuck." You know what I mean? As a practitioner, he developed a method of interpretation. Jung did that drew upon comparative studies in human cultures, myth, and religion, right? So he was a unique dude in that sense, yo, because he didn't really rely on just a European narrative, even though he was European, right? He didn't really just, he didn't really, he didn't rely on just a European narrative to inform his works because he understood that the world was far bigger than just one interpretation, that the collective consciousness is far greater than just where he fucking grew up, right? In fact, one of his most famous talking points is you know, again, this collective unconscious. And there are were and still are mad people, you know, within that scope who, or rather, within the scope of the collective unconsciousness who existed far outside of the Western world, right? So as far as Jung was concerned, all these different cultures and ideas and beliefs, they served as a as, as a perfect wellspring, right, for materials from, you know. That that could be drawn upon when trying to you know assert claims in in order to justify many of the ideas that he was advancing, right? Um, he called this amplification specifically what the amplification is, right? Is the idea that all materials from world histories that had a barring on mental processes could be used right, to in order for his for his work, right? One thing that Young did take care in doing is uh, respecting the psyche's ultimate mysteries, homie, right? So. Uh, What I mean by that is, like, his theory, it can be read as a map of the soul, for instance, but he made sure to clarify that it is just a map, okay? And that the map of itself, it's a map of mystery, right, that simply cannot ultimately be captured in rational terms, okay? It cannot be captured in categories because it's a living map that is in constant change, right? This is one of the biggest knocks on Jung. And the idea is that he's just a bunch of uh, pseudo-scientific hogwash due to the seemingly unsystematic nature of his work, right? And it didn't help that he insisted on his shit being considered scientific and not philosophical, for instance, right? (laughs) But not on some ego shit or not entirely ego shit, right? It seems. But just because he affirmed that the empirical world, which is, you know, life as we experience it, is messy and it doesn't fit neatly into these prepackaged boxes that are made by human thought and imagination, right? And that's why he insisted on not fucking, you know, systematizing his work, which, you know, this is not new. We've seen this prior in this, you know, as in this podcast, for sure. I've talked about this at length, right? With Nietzsche, okay? And even Kant to an extent, right? Um. So the reason why I mention it is because it's important to note that when we're reading Jung we have to keep in mind that the map, the quote unquote map, it's not a territory, right? Uh, moreover, we have to keep in mind the, that knowledge of the map is not the same as, the, as an experience, rather, of the deep psyche, right? So that's a common, that for sure is like a common theme in his hood philosophy, shit dog. And that is that if you're just theory, right, and no action, then what the fuck, you ain't shit, dog. And more importantly, that if your theory can't be applied, then your theory ain't shit either, right? We're here to fucking actually immerse ourselves with the work that we're doing, not just fucking... We're not here to circle jerk each other and fucking, you know, uh, armchair philosophize about shit that is absolutely meaningless. It needs to be applied in a practical manner that can yield positive uh, results for the practitioners, right? And uh, the same is true when it comes to young, dog, that knowing all this shit, it don't mean shit if we aren't going to use it to to get to our core, if you will, right? To get to our... to get to the shit that is driving the majority of our actions, that are leading us in, you know, to live unhappy lives as a whole. Okay. So uh, when it comes to Jung, then when he's unrolling this map of consciousness, we start first with, of all things, the ego. Okay. Now the ego for Jung is quite literally—it's quite literally, dog—the center of consciousness, right? In uh, in Latin, the the word ego literally means I, right? And since consciousness is the state of awakeness, and there is quite literally an "I" at the center of consciousness, it's only fitting that that's the word that they choose, right? Now we should be clear here in that ego serves a dual function, first, as an entrance to the uh, entrance, rather, to the vast terrain of consciousness, and secondly, as a complex feature of the psyche that holds many puzzles and unanswered questions to this day. So this is one of the reasons why I like to fuck with Jung a lot. And honestly, like I, I I was introduced to many of the ideas that I later learned in philosophy through Jung, right? And that is because a lot of his shit is like is deeply informed by the philosophy of the time that he was philosophizing in, right? Um, so here we're talking about ego and consciousness. This is very clearly phenomenological work in progress, right? And we'll see the correlations here shortly, right? But uh to that end, what he's gonna tell us is that he can't rely to uh He can't rely, uh, rather, really, be called an ego psychologist because he was more concerned with you know what lay beneath the ego, right? But he did recognize uh, the the cultural importance of the ego, namely the role that it played in delivering the quote unquote greater consciousness, capable of culture and human life. So this is a very complex, abstract way of saying is that. The more the ego develops, the greater potential yield it will have, not just for humans, but all of culture as a whole, right? So he can't be called just an ego psychologist because he doesn't focus on entirely just the ego. As we'll see, the ego is something of like, uh, it's just a small piece and a greater constellation of the the inner workings of the mind, okay? But uh, he did understand the, the great role that it played, right? Not only on an individual level, but on a cultural level as well, because again, the whole collective unconscious type shit, right? So uh, Jung, he defines the ego as something that forms, as it were, okay, the center of the field of consciousness, the subject of all personal acts of consciousness. So an important distinction to make here is that the ego does not equal consciousness, right? Perhaps, this is a very complex idea. Like, it's just philosophically speaking, it's, it's, it's very complex to uh, convey. But when I'm thinking about it, I like to think about it as like a highway. And the ego itself would be the actual highway and, you know, the conscious or rather uh, consciousness is the actual highway and ego is just a vehicle that is driving along the highway, right? Like consciousness facilitates the ability of ego to drive through it. But at the same time, ego is the center of consciousness because without an ego, there is no experience, i.e. you driving a vehicle down the highway, right? So, um, yeah, to that end, Jung tells us that consciousness is itself a quote unquote field, right? And that ego occupies its center it is our empirical personality right uh the the personality as we are aware of and experience firsthand this is some the the parallels with Kant are clearly there like they're clearly there right um but this isn't this isn't this isn't an episode on Kant right let alone the fucking the, the the correlations between Kant and Jung this is just a quick introduction to Jung and his thoughts on ego right so when it comes to that, I guess the simplest way to put it is that the term ego, it refers to one's experience of oneself as a center of a willing, desiring, reflecting, and acting, right? So that, 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 the, the ego is that center, right? Inside Out, homie. We've all seen Inside Out, the movie, the Pixar movie, right? Ego is the fucking, whatever her name is, a little chick with the pixie cut, right? The one is making all the, causing all the ruckus and trying to fix all the ruckus simultaneously, Right? <laughs> Um, to that end, we can, you know, you can see the ego kind of as a mirror in which the psyche can see itself and can become aware, right? So uh, a good way of thinking about this is that anything that can be, you know, taken up, if you will, and reflected upon, it resides in our field of consciousness. While anything that can't resides in the unconscious. Again, some more nominal, nominal distinction here, right? But to use the Kantian philosophy. So, uh, you know, there's shit that we're aware of. And then there's shit that we're aware that we're aware of, both of which reside in the actual field of consciousness and simultaneously there's shit we aren't aware of and we're not even there's other shit that we aren't uh, that we aren't aware that we aren't aware of, right and that resides in the unconscious, okay now, in terms of the unconscious, to be clear, it's important to note that this isn't just the unknown though, okay the unconscious is more than just the unknown. It's more like the unknown psychic, and what I mean is that it's you know. It's something that is defined by all these things uh, in us, which if they came to consciousness, they would presumably, they would differ in no respect from the known psychic context. So that's just a way of saying like, there's shit down there. Okay, let's use the more inside out, like more inside out analogy, right? The, the whole, uh, the little pink elephant dude, okay? That girl knows that that thing is there because she experienced it before, but it got, it got repressed. It got pushed down to the unconscious. But it could be retrieved and brought back up to consciousness, right? And if once it is brought back up to consciousness, it's not like you you, you see this and be like, "Oh wow, that's my unconscious." No, that's not what's happening. That is the conscious now because it's just got it just because it got moved up doesn't mean that it 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 it, it maintain its property of being uh, something from the unconscious. Like it is now conscious, and you are now aware of it, just like everything else that you are consciously aware of, right? We can see here with this one uh, with this one. Uh, Uh, Example, The already the alchemical occult element in Jung already, right? Namely, the making visible the invisible and how that can in turn be used to transmute us, if you will, and society as a whole for the better. But I'll talk about that a little bit more in detail later, right? For now, uh, we'll just continue along our our intro by saying that for Jung, consciousness itself is most simply awareness. Like I'm going to keep trying to give you like the most simplest definitions as, as, as they emerge organically, right? And in this case, it's just awareness, dog. It's the state of being awake, right? It's the state of observing and registering what is going on in the world around us and within, right? So to that end, the opposite of consciousness then is like a deep dreamless sleep with a total lack of responsiveness and sentient awareness, okay? The permanent absence of consciousness is its quite literally fucking death, Right? So for Jung, then uh, consciousness is the quote-unquote life factor that belongs to living bodies, right? And uh, this 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 relates to uh, our, our our development through life in turn, right? By we develop along life as things are added to our consciousness. Then, okay. So again, more more of this Kantian influence—the idea that all of knowledge already exists in reality, and you just experience it, and you become versed with it. Okay, and. Then, the more versed you become with it, the more knowledgeable you become of reality type shit and the, the experiences of reality, right? That's kind of what's happening here with Jung. We go through these different levels of development and all the knowledge that we gain. It, it's just adding to our consciousness and we become more aware of the world that we're living in and you know, of ourselves within this world as well, okay? So in this sense then, the more experience that we have in life, the more content we accrue, if you will, and the more we ideally would develop. I say ideally because of course, That's not how it works. We don't all just fucking go through life and experience shit and then continue to level up. Some of us go through some catastrophic, traumatizing shit, and because of that, we remain stunted in our development, which is part of the whole fucking motivation behind this Jungian philosophy. Addressing that shit, recognizing it, first of all, because most of us don't even know it's there in the first place, right? And then addressing it, and then working to overcome it so that we can continue our development and continue to level up, right? So it's because of this content that human consciousness can ideally, I say ideally because this is obviously not fucking true, but in theory, it can ideally be itemized, right? So what I mean by item, it could be bracketed, if you will, to use the fucking phenomenological language. Like you take these objects of consciousness and you say, this goes here, this goes there, this goes here, right? Both these things come together and they, they form this and we use these together to do this, right? We form the schemas, the schematic patterns in our mind that help us navigate the world after we you know, make the associations between this bracket, these bracketed uh, objects of consciousness, right? That's the basic gist here, all right? Um, and in this particular case, we are itemizing and bracketing shit like our thoughts, our memories, our identity, our fantasies, our emotions, images in general, words, all that shit, dog. It comes together, right? And they form what he's going to refer to as a cluster that forms our ego, right? Now, uh, for Jung, the ego, again, it forms the critical center of consciousness and it largely determines which contents remain within the realm of consciousness and which ones fade away into the unconscious. So uh, the ego is responsible, then Jung tells us, for retaining contents in consciousness, but can also eliminate them from consciousness by just simply ceasing to reflect on them. It can repress, okay, to use the language. Uh, contents it does not like or finds intolerably painful or even incompatible with other contents, okay? And at the same time, the ego can also retrieve contents from storage in the unconscious. This is based off the whole memory bank idea, the idea that we're just like a a, a warehouse, right? And that our memories are stored in this warehouse and that we can just go in and like retrieve them whenever we need it, okay? Um, that's, that's what this idea is based off of. The idea that it can retrieve contents from storage in the unconscious. So long, he tells us, as they're not blocked by a defense mechanism like repression, and that they have a strong enough association to the ego, i.e., they have been learned strongly enough, right? As long as it has those two things, any it could be it could be retrieved as memory from consciousness, right? From the from the unconscious. So again, uh, to that end, they're going to reintroduce the, the metaphor of the mirror, right? And this time they're going to refer more likely to a magnet, right? It's not only a mirror but also now a magnet that holds all of these contents together, the contents of consciousness that we've uh, experienced throughout the duration of our life. Um, But again, it's more than just a mirror and it's more than just a magnet because this ego, it can also will, it can also get us to do things, right? And it can, moreover, it can act on its own accord, right? So what that means is that like as a vital center of consciousness, you know, this ego is it's so fundamental to us. It, it's just so fundamental. It precedes language. Like before we even have language, our ego is there. It precedes our personal identity. Before we know who we are, what we are, our ego is there, right? And before we even know that we are, it precedes personal awareness. like before you know the whole thing that I was talking about before, when you put the little red dot on the on the kid's forehead and they reach and you put them in front of a mirror and they reach out to the mirror to try to take it off, like that's because they don't realize that that's them, right? They don't have any personal awareness, but they're still fucking aware. And that's where the ego is right there, right? Again, this is just basic levels of development and psychology type shit, homie. And what Jung is telling us is that basic things like recognition of our face and names, it comes shortly after and they cluster closely around the center of our consciousness. So much so that they have the effect of defining the ego and enlarging its range of executive command and self-awareness. So that's just like a really fancy way of saying that fundamentally, the ego is a virtual center of awareness that exists at least, at least since birth, okay? If you're one of those motherfuckers who think consciousness starts at, at conception, then the ego is there. As soon as the conception hits, it's right fucking there, right? If you think that people get consciousness right at three months, boom, there's the ego right there. If you don't think they have consciousness till they're born, boom, the ego is right there, Okay. And it's the fucking virtual center of awareness that exists at the very moment that that consciousness, you know, enters into the body or the bodies enter into the consciousness, whatever you want to, however you want to view it, right? It's quite literally the eye that sees and has always seen the world from the unique vantage point of this body, your body, my body, right? Again, more inside out type shit. As soon as the fucking, as soon as the 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 eyes open, boom, the consciousness fucking Uh, 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 the the ego, rather, experiences the consciousness. Now, one thing that's interesting about this ego is that on its own, it is literally no thing, right? It is literally no thing. Hence why it is so difficult, if not outright impossible to map, let alone know. Like a little fucking ghost, dog, right? (laughs) We can't deny its existence, but it remains fucking hidden to us nonetheless, right? Now, I personally find this important because it helps me understand the ego less as this little homunculus living being in our fucking heads, right? Straight men in black style, where that fucking alien dude dies, and there's that one little green, uh, that one little green uh, alien inside of his inside of his head, right? You, uh, it helps me think about it less like that, right? And more so again in a philosophical phenomenological matter manner rather that has you know struggled again to get to the core of consciousness, right? The whole mystery of consciousness, thought it's fucking crazy, bro. This is why this, you know, the artificial intelligence, like I'm always a little bit suspect about it because in order to have artificial intelligence, you have to first know what consciousness is. You know what I mean? Because you can't, it's, it's its a property that just can't be given unless the fucking, just unless the way that the, the machines are built allows them to filter consciousness the way humans are built or animals are built, right? I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. But um. I do know that since we don't really have an answer to what consciousness is, right? <laughs> Ugh, I'm very, I'm I'm very, it makes me very uneasy to say that other things are conscious as well, like robots. You know what I'm saying? But um, that's a whole other topic for another day. For now, for now, the point is that we don't know what this consciousness shit is still to this day, right? It is the greatest of all known phenomena. Like we don't know what it is, but we know that it's there. Like it's really fucking weird, right? <laughs> But that hasn't stopped folks from trying to figure it out, okay? Now, this process, it comes in all kinds of different names, but the fundamental problems with it remain the same. And that is that we are trying to study consciousness with consciousness. And a conundrum inherently implies an impossibility. This conundrum inherently implies an impossibility, right? Because you're using the very tool that you're trying to... You're, you're using the very tool... To discover something that you're trying to discover in the first place, it's fucking weird, okay? Um, in philosophy, we call it refraction, right? And the best way that I can give you this uh, this metaphor, at least for me, is like it's how it works for me. It's like a flashlight refracting back on itself, okay? And usually at this point, motherfuckers will always be like, "Well, what about a mirror? If you put a flashlight in front of a mirror, it will fucking reflect uh, refract back into itself, right?" But it's like, no, dude, that's not the same, okay? Because that's that's akin to humans looking into a mirror, okay? We're talking about, like in the case of the flashlight, the actual light particles themselves without any sort of external fucking cue turning back on themselves, okay? Turning back on themselves completely independently and realizing they're the source of what is causing the illumination in the first place, right? So... <laughs> When it, comes to, like, when it comes to consciousness and shit, the best example that I can give you is like a zombie eyeball, homie. A zombie eyeball. It's like fucking popped out of its fucking socket and shit. You know what I mean? And now you have, say you're the zombie. And now you have one eyeball intact and this eyeball is the one that you've used your entire life to look forward. But now your other eyeball is fucking, is hanging here. And it's still attached to the socket. So ideally you can still fucking, it's still seeing. So now your eyeball is looking straight ahead and now down. Right. And you can pick up this eyeball and like use it to fucking look around, behind, up, all that kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? And at the same time, like you could even turn it inwards and look at yourself like, holy shit, I'm fucking looking at myself with my eyeball here. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of the basic gist when it comes to this fucking consciousness. It's like we're using this tool to help us figure out what that tool is in the first place. And the moment that we become aware of that, we're no longer Talking about consciousness. We're talking about the experience of consciousness, right? It's fucking weird, dog. Anyways, all of that is to say that there's a lot of overlap between Jungian thought and philosophy. And this is just but one example, homie, right? Again, in philosophy, what I just talked about, we call it the we call it the cogito and the pre-kogito, right? The will, right? And Jung and company, they're gonna call it the ego, the consciousness, the libido. Again, all different words to convey the relative same phenomena, right? that is universal to the human experience. In terms of the impossibility to pin down the ego, there's this great quote by Sartre that I personally feel summarizes this, which goes, uh, never until these last few days had I understood the meaning of existence, quote unquote. I was like the others, Sartre tells us, like the ones walking along the seashore, all dressed in their spring finery. I said, like them, the ocean is green, that white speck up there is a seagull. But I didn't feel that it existed or that the seagull was an existing seagull, quote-unquote. Usually, existence hides itself. It is there, around us. It is us. You can't say two words without mentioning it, it. but you can never touch it, right? This is exactly what this Jungian thought tells us, dog, right? This This is true of the ego. It is not, you know... It's something that is clearly there. It's clearly there, but I can't fucking put my hands on it. I can't explain it because in doing so, I'm I'm not even talking about the ego anymore, right? And uh, yeah, he's going to tell us this ego, shit dog, it's not a product of nurture, growth, or development. It is an innate, it it is innate to us, right? It is a given core, okay, Uh, that comes with the infant. It's just like part of the process, part of the, you know, it's part of the fucking, uh, of the deal. Again, this is why like with robots and shit, I'm like, I don't know if they're really conscious, bro. Like, do they have the fucking ego? Does it come with them? Right? And then, like, do we create it? Because if we create, does that mean that we're the givers of life? What does that imply for the existence of a godlike entity? Does that mean that humans are the gods? Does that mean that this is just a cycle that repeats itself uh, through, uh, through various fucking iterations of life? That just life fucking creates literally life, you know what I mean, in different forms? Like, what the fuck is happening, right? Whatever the case is, when it comes to the Jungian philosophy... He's going to tell us that the ego is the center of consciousness, not only geographically, like where it's located within us, but also dynamically. So what he means by that is that it is the energy center that moves the contents of consciousness around and it arranges them in order of priority. Like right now I'm sitting on this fucking chair and I had no idea I was even sitting on this chair until I said to you that I'm sitting on this chair. Why? Because it's not that fucking important right now as I'm trying to give this fucking podcast on Jung for my body to know, for my mind, my ego to know that I'm sitting on a fucking chair. You know what I'm saying? It it arranges shit in order of priority, right? It is quite literally the locus center of agency and free will. So, you know, in this particular sense of free will, when we say shit like, yo, I'm going to hit up the club, right? We think to ourselves that we made that decision. But realistically... The ego has made that decision for us and is acting out that will through our physical actions. This is the perfect segue, by the way, to the whole fucking Human Capital Part 2 podcast, which I fucking swear, dog, is coming, okay? It's coming. Just just bear with me, right? Why I bring up this uh, shit right there is because the whole idea of free will, like, especially when it comes to human capital, we like to think that we're making these decisions, but realistically, these decisions have been fucking programmed within us, Uh, We like to think we're making decisions of our own free will, of our own volition. But realistically, if what this Jungian insight is telling us, what these Freudian insights tell us, those fucking ideas have been subliminally implanted into our subconscious, into our ego, and we're just fucking acting them out. And we like to associate that action of acting them out with our own free will. But that's not the fucking case because the ego is the center of volition and thus free will. And because of that, more often than not, we are acting out of our ego and not in like in a negative connotation, then we are out of our own free will. And when I say the negative connotation is because usually from an egoic psychological perspective, when people speak on the ego, it's, uh, it's, it's associated with like immature actions. Like, oh, your ego, like you're all ego, bro. Well, that's true for everybody. We're all, all ego. We're all always acting out of our ego. And the goal with this Jungian insight is to realize that and then work to try to fucking ask ourselves questions like, okay, is this really what I want to do? Or have I just been, you know, has my ego been influenced in such a way that I'm now acting out the actions of the ego, but, you know, according to the dictates of other people type shit, right? So, you know, uh, in and of itself, again, the ego is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. So when motherfuckers, you know, they say shit like, again, that person is all ego. that's, That's not what Jung is talking about, right? Because at its most fundamental level... The ego is nothing more than that which separates humans from every other creature in nature, right? That also possesses consciousness. We're going to, in this case, again, we're just going to assume that most, they're going to assume. I don't know about this, man. You know, I look at my dog and I'm just like, bro, there's something there. I don't know what the fuck it is. But when I look at my dog, there's something there that isn't present in a fucking bird. You know what I mean? That isn't, well, some birds. When I look at my dog... It's like there's something there that I don't see present in a lot of animals. I know what I'm thinking about. Like actually, a lot of animals, I see a similar look, not the same as my dog, but something similar to it. Cows, like there's something there, dog. Ravens, for sure, there's something there. Orcas, like you know, like there's clearly something there, bro. But as far as this whole Jungian insight share, they're going to tell us that the ego is what centers human consciousness and gives our behavior its purpose and direction. It's uniquely human, okay, and that it's because of this ego. That we possess freedom and that we can thus defy our instincts, unlike animals, for self-preservation, for propagation, and to, you know, for creativity. Okay? This is something that animals can't do. I've given the instance before, but the example remains the same. A human can have a hunger strike in order to protest fucking inhumane treatment of other humans. Animals cannot do that. If you fucking, you know, like it's a family guy and shit, right? Brian becomes aware in that one episode where he runs over a dog of how how little consideration is given to them. And he makes this huge fucking, you know, point of trying to overcome that, but in the end is ultimately met with the same conclusion. And that is that there's a hierarchy and humans are above animals. And when, you know, something happens to an animal, it's not as fucking, people don't care as much as when it happens to a human, right? Um, And in this case, let's say that Brian wanted to fucking protest that by going on a hunger strike. Ideally, if this Freudian insight is correct, he would not last because his instinct for self-preservation, namely to eat the food, would inevitably take hold, and it would he would lose the hunger strike, right? So that's what that's what you know Jung is trying to tell us when it comes to people. Like well, this is something that we uniquely possess, okay? And because of that, we uniquely possess freedom and can justify our instincts for again self-preservation, propagation, and for creativity. Okay. Now, to be sure, the obverse of this is also naturally true as well. Okay. And what they mean by that is that too strong of an ego is one that could, or rather a a strong ego, not too strong of an ego, but a strong ego is one that can obtain and move around in a deliberate way, large amount of conscious data, right? So what they mean is that like a weak ego, it cannot do this, okay? The same way that a weak ego cannot fucking endure a hunger strike, it cannot, you know, deliberate and move around large amounts of conscious data, Right? And because of that, it is easily distracted, which leads it to an unfocused consciousness and a lack of consistent motivation. This is the part. When I was reading it, I was like, okay, dog, me? Like, just slap me next time. You know what I'm trying to say here? And then from there, like, the whole fucking trip on the Cholos finally started to make sense. Because it's like, on one hand, you have these Cholo motherfuckers who are like, oh, bro, the US government is against us. They set us up for failure for the school-to-prison pipeline type shit. You know what I mean? Like, they hate me because I'm a brown person. And it's like, Well, yeah, but the other part of it is that because you yourself have a weak consciousness, you know, you have a weak ego and you are easily distracted, which leads you to an unfocused consciousness and a lack of consistent motivation. In this case, the motivation necessary to avoid the fucking trap and fucking escape it in the first place. Like, is the trap there? Yes. Do you have to fall for it? Of course not. You see it there. It's your choice to step on it and you are going to step on it because you have a weak ego. Why do you have a weak ego? Because you've never done any of the fucking shadow work, if you will, necessary to strengthen that motherfucker, right? And because of that, that's why you're going to end up in the school-to-prison pipeline. That's that's how that shit goes, right? Anyways, an interesting insight Jung has into the ego is that it can also be activated subconsciously, if you will, right? When it is actively suspended. And this is the part that I was talking about here for the human capital, Okay. So by the act of suspension, like you're watching a movie, like the suspension of disbelief is required to do so. We are actively suspending our ego, okay? And while Jung tells us that it's not possible to maintain a volitionally restrained observational conscious for t- consciousness for too long, like we can't, we can't do this willingly for too long because inevitably the ego and the wider psyche as whole, they're inevitably going to become engaged with whatever it is that we're observing. One of the more difficult things about like mindful meditation and shit, you're trying to, or just meditation in general. You're trying to meditate and focus on the now, but inevitably your your your, your ego and your psyche as a whole is going to realize that you're in the act of meditating and focusing on the now, and it's gonna try to, it's gonna potentially break the whole fucking flow, right? And that's because that's what the ego does. The moment it starts to focus on something, even if it's not focused, it will focus on what it's not focusing on. Okay. Now. This is critically important for especially like the the, the quote unquote conspiracy community because, like I've talked about on previous episodes of the podcast, this is basically what Hollywood is trying to do with us in preparation for like Project Bluebeam and shit. They are banking on this, okay? And uh, this is not a conspiracy podcast, so I'm not going to get into it too deeply, okay? But the basic idea here is that Hollywood is obviously deeply versed with Jungian insight, it's fucking obviously deeply manipulated. This is not a conspiracy. We know that the CIA, for instance, is fucking actively involved with Hollywood. That's why every fucking big budget, uh, big budget action movie invariably ends with the quote-unquote American good guy fucking coming out on top. They don't. They're they're not entertaining you. They're actively trying to push a war agenda. That's what they're doing, okay? And they're doing so predicated off this Jungian psychology, which again, it's not a mistake because remember, as I've talked about in the previous episodes, or rather, as I talked about earlier, this Jung cat, he was a student of Freud, dog. And the uncle, all right, or uh, who, who uh, himself, uh, Freud, was the uncle of the creator of modern advertising, Edward Bernays, right, who himself was also a student of Freud. So, yeah, dog, it's not, it's, it's only a conspiracy. What I'm trying to say here is if you're uneducated, like if you haven't done the research, if you don't know what the fuck they're talking about, like this, these Hollywood motherfuckers are clearly using this kind of shit to, you know, take advantage of the way our human ego is developed by way of these Jungian insights, Okay. So it's not a conspiracy to say that they're pushing agendas. It's like, no, dog, it, it is what it is. We're being finessed at every moment through mass media and social media for what it's worth, right? And what's being targeted in Jungian thought is our ego, okay? Why? Because these motherfuckers know that it can be suspended and when it's suspended, it could be fucking manipulated and when it's manipulated, ideas can be inserted into us that are not necessarily our own, let alone in our own interests and then we, in turn, turn around and... Act these fucking ideas out in the physical world completely unaware or uh, under the illusion that it's our own ideas, completely unaware that they were, you know, instilled within us when our ego was in either a state of suspension or was just not fully developed enough to know the difference. So, what Jung is going to tell us then is that, you know, again, we can suspend our ego, right? But it by will, but it's not going to last long because the ego will eventually find something to engage itself with, right? And this is where we get to the whole fucking like a movie, you know, and, and the, the, the foundation for why they believe this. So we're watching a movie, right? And we have the whole suspension of disbelief, okay? And you know, when we first start a movie, we're just taking it in, okay? But what Jung is telling, telling us here is that if this movie is riveting enough, Inevitably, invariably, we're gonna begin identifying with the characters and the emotions they activate within us, okay? And in turn, the ego begins to ready itself to act. And, you know, if we have a hard time distinguishing between a fucking movie and reality, our ego may very well prompt us to act out in a physical manner, right? So we know that movies, again, they're designed to elicit exactly this kind of response. You know, that's what they want to do. Is the hallmark of a good movie. Any, not just a movie, dog, any work of art is, ideally, it's, whether it's consciously made as such or it's just a natural byproduct, it, it, it moves us, okay? And, you know, movies are no different. So on a Jungian level, this whole activation of our ego as the center of our wishing, of our hoping, and perhaps even of our intending, these movies, they activate that core, Okay? And because of that, we are susceptible to make major life decisions, you know, after watching a movie, for instance, as a consequence of the feelings and thoughts that were generated uh, in our consciousness bec- because of the uh, of the movie itself, right? So let's say somebody sees a movie about a fucking cheating spouse and they get so fucking riveted and angry about it that they go home and they murder their spouse because they're convinced that that spouse is cheating on them type shit, right? Or someone is so fucking convinced about what a president says about, uh, 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 an alleged fucking invasion at our southern border by quote unquote illegal aliens that somebody who's watching that speech takes up arms and comes here to the fucking borderland to take care of the problem, quote unquote, that the president fucking told him, you know, this imaginary problem. Their ego was it was it was, it was, it was uh, wheeled into movement by external forces, okay? And when people have a difficult time separating between fucking television and reality, they're susceptible to act in such a way where, you know, they do dumb shit like fucking come here and commit a mass shooting. Okay. So all that to say that while the ego is itself the locus of free will, it is honestly pretty limited according to Jung, right? As it's easily influenced by both internal psychic and external environmental forces. Like we like to think that it's like a strong thing, but it's not true. Okay. And it's easily susceptible. So, in that sense, you know, uh, waking consciousness, according to the Jungian thought, is focused by the ego's registering of internal and environmental stimuli. And then, in, you know, in response, putting the body into motion. Okay. So, it can respond, for instance, to a threatening stimuli by picking up arms to defend itself, or it can be activated by internal stimuli like love or the urge to create, which in turn manifest in external actions. Okay. Now, all of this, all of this itself are filtered through the levels of progression that the ego has undertook in. Because again, the ego itself goes through many stages of development, starting with infancy, okay? Or again, whenever it is that you believe consciousness begins. And as a, at a certain point in development, it is largely shaped and defined by the cultural world that we live in. So again, going back to the importance of the cultural world that I talked about earlier in the podcast, right? Jung calls this layer of the ego, the structure that surrounds the central ego, okay? And it becomes thicker as we grow and learn and practice our cultural norms. Another just introduction of philosophy, insight. The majority of us, we are not our true selves. We are not ourselves, assuming a true self even exists. We are not unique individuals. Let's put it that way, okay? We are fucking products of the culture that we were born in. It's pretty much that simple, okay? There's nothing unique about it. And we'll get into that as the series continues. But for now, Jung he continues by telling us that the ego it rests on two bases, okay, a somatic that is bodily one, and a psychic one, okay. And each of these bases is multi-layered, and it exists particularly in consciousness, but mostly in the unconsciousness, okay. So, for instance, in its upper layer, uh, its upper layer, sorry, the ego is rational cognitive, and reality-oriented. In its deeper, more hidden layers, it is subject to the flux of emotion, fantasy, conflict, and perhaps, uh, more importantly, to the intrusions from the physical and psychic levels of the unconscious. Okay? And uh, this is important because, for Jung at least, the idea here is that this vital sensor of consciousness, our ego, it can be easily disturbed, homie, no matter how deep, Uh, uh, no matter how deep or no matter how subliminal this fucking disruption may come, right? So what I mean by that is like, dog, that's what we mean when we say stay woke, dog, stay woke, fam, okay? Because they're coming for us at the most fundamental of levels. It's It's not a fucking overt assault where they're telling you like, this is what we're trying to instill. It comes to us in the most subtle of ways, dog, through signs, through symbols, okay? That enter into our collective unconsciousness and they fucking resonate with this deeply held archetypes that we as humans have by virtue of being humans, okay? And that these fucking, these echoes in turn cause slight disruptions, even at the most fundamental subconscious of layers that in turn affect us in the conscious world and our actions, right? We're being manipulated at the most fundamental of level, dog. You gotta stay woke, fam, right? Now, an important thing to note here though, just so we're clear, is that this, at least for me personally, is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, yes, it's fucked up, that we're being raised as cattle on this prison fucking planet, dog. But I'm practicing gratitude in my life at the moment, dog. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is like, it's nice to look on the positive side of things. And in this case, it's that instances like this, they provide us with the opportunity to grow. Like, yeah, we could sit here and lament like, oh, fuck, dog. We ain't nothing more than fucking sheep on a prison planet. Okay, Fine. Now you know that, okay? Now let's fucking use this as an opportunity to grow because we don't have to be sheep. We can undo this fucking cultural programming, okay? And while we're still going to be stuck living on this prison planet, there's ways to do so that don't fucking imply just a fatalistic uh, uh, approach inherent with understanding that we're basically just fucking pawns on a greater chessboard, right? They provide us with opportunity. This, this insight can provide us with an opportunity to grow, being fucking, like, realizing that you grew up in the hood, in poverty, like, yeah, that's fucking, that fucking sucks, okay? But you can use that as an opportunity to fucking grow. It's not inherently fucked up is what I'm trying to say, right? And this is what young calls collisions, okay? They are, these collisions, they are conflict, trouble, anguish, sorrow, suffering, and all that other kind of shit, okay? Uh... uh, uh, uh that lead the ego to develop as it does. The way, when we come to realize that our inner desires are being frustrated by just life in general, okay? We have a, a, a collision. Our inner our inner ego wants something and life says yes or no, okay? And depending on the answer, that's, you know, the kind of fucking collision that we engage in, which ultimately does nothing more than give ego the chance to develop. Like, yeah, dog, you grew up in the hood. Now you have a chance to grow from it or not. Like, that's your choice, Okay. Um, what Young is going to tell us is that a moderate amount of conflict with the environment and some frustrations, they're the best conditions for ego growth. This is why, like, I can't stand these fucking bitch ass fake woke social justice warriors, dog. And the reason why is because the majority of them, they profess to have this deep fucking concern for people like myself who grew up in the hood, with my quote unquote brown body folk, Right. But realistically they don't they don't know shit, dog, because they've never experienced strife. They've never experienced any sort of collision, okay, with fucking life that has given them the opportunity for ego growth. And you'll see this with a lot of them. It doesn't matter what fucking ethnicity they are. A lot of them are very fucking childish, dog. They're 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 fucking doesn't matter how old they are. Their fucking motivations are very childish. Their demands are very childish. They're not very conducive to fucking actual real-world living, you know what I'm saying? And uh the reason why, at least from this, one of the reasons why from this particular reading is because they've had it too fucking easy, bro. They're very privileged living in academia, living in academic life is very privileged. Uh, Most of the academics in general, they come from fucking good backgrounds. There's not fucking, there's not many poor people in academia or people who grew up in poverty in academia. There's some, but a lot of people who get into academia, they do so because they have the financial backing to be able to afford going to college and not having to work, to be able to afford taking a chance like becoming a fucking philosophy professor. Like you can afford that shit. You know what I mean? Um, and because of that, they've never they've been really sheltered from the world, bro. And you know, in this sheltering, they've never they don't they've never really had the necessary conditions uh that are needed for ego development, right? So it's only natural that we what well, we're seeing how their ego is unfolding to be very childish ways. Right. For those of us who have lived a fucking life and we're there's a great meme that's circulating right now and it's uh, about this that the, the little interesting meme from icarly and uh the text says me living uh in a third world country with water scarcity looking at a teenager in america struggling to find their sexuality and it's like boom dog fucking bullseye you fucking nailed it because the people who are writing these dumbass shows about fucking respecting pronouns and all that nonsense they don't fuck it they're sheltered they don't have a fucking understand they they've never been given the necessary conditions Right? To give the, the moderate amount of conflict with the environment that implies some sort of frustration that are conducive to ego growth. They don't have that. They've never had that. And now that they do have it, like, in the quote-unquote real world, because social media is not the real world, like Dave Chappelle tells us. He's not fucking wrong, dog. Right? But they do they do confront these conflicts, and namely the conflict is people that just don't agree with them. Like, no, dude, I don't fucking agree with you. Right? And they're so childish and immature that they can't fucking process it in any way but to resort to a childish manner, like fucking screaming in, at the top of their lungs in order to get people to fucking stop talking, right? Now, to be fair, this isn't just a fucking, this, is like, this isn't some right-wing reactionary fucking attack on the, on the fucking quote-unquote progressive left, because honestly, fuck the right-wing too. We've talked about this, <laughs> Right? Which is why, to you know, like I, as I was like writing this down, I started thinking about Jordan Peterson a lot, and I was like, man, this guy's a fucking clown, bro. Like for reals, for reals, he fucking professes to be this Jungian scholar, but why does he never fucking? Why do his critiques never center on that? Like, why is his critiques always on fucking trans people? Like, why is his critiques always on fucking uh, 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 anything that uh, critiques fucking uh, conservative Christian values? Like, why? Why doesn't he actually get into the Jungian shit? Because if he did, right? He'd probably have much more success if he behaved like, a, like an actual Jungian scholar and talked about that kind of shit, right? Whatever the case, this is not a fucking, this is definitely not a J.P. Potter, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson podcast, right? It's about Jung, specifically on ego, right? And getting back to this whole idea about the collisions of ego with the external world. What he's going to tell us is that to be sure, to be sure, some collisions can be catastrophic, dog. And these lead us to severe damage of the psyche, okay? And in many instances, these catastrophic collisions, rather than helping the ego become strengthened, it could actually become wounded and so severely traumatized that its later functioning is radically impaired, right? That is why, again, dog, I cannot stand motherfuckers in the hood who were kicked right in the dick from breath. Don't get it twisted, dog. We absolutely were, like most of the people on this planet, Okay. Fucking full front kick right to the dick, dog. Right from birth, all right? But rather than choose to fucking stand up and continue fighting, you laid down and you gave up because of it. Like, that's why I don't fucking like the Chola culture. That's what I see it as in a lot of ways, right? To me personally, that's weak, pathetic, cowardly shit. And I don't value that, dog. I value strength. Not in the pedantic physical strength that we, you know... That it's associated with, but in that will to power strength that I've talked at length about, you know, through Nietzsche on this podcast, right? The idea of like, yeah, dog, you got kicked in the dick. Now you got to get up and fight, even if you get your ass fucking beat at the end. Like, it's just, it's weird to me, dog, because this is something that we learned growing up in the hood. Like, we know this. We grew up in the hood. This is something we know full well. And that is that ranking out, being a ranker is not an option. Just another rankerful jar, right? From Food's Gone Wild. This is what they're fucking talking about, dog. You don't. Have that option growing up in the hood, okay? Because you could never show face again. And on if you fucking rank out from a fight, like you could never show face again. You'd always be made fun of for the rest of your life. Right. And perhaps most importantly, if you rank, people will continue to fuck with you, dog. You don't, you know, like they'll know, like, ah, I could I'm gonna I'm gonna bully this motherfucker now, right? I'm not saying bullying is a good thing, dog. I'm saying that it's just a fundamental nature of human beings, bro. It's like human nature to fucking pick on things that we find to be, you know, weaker than us, okay? And if you rank in the hood, like, it's you're going to get fucked with, dog. You're just going to get fucked with, okay? You don't have a choice but to stand and fight. Even if you get your fucking ass whooped, dog. Even if you get your ass whooped, you stood and fought, right? This just leads to more of the reasons why I hate the troller culture. It's like, why do we only do this when it's fighting for something so fucking inconsequential as our hood, right and not for something that is actually important like our lives and the betterment of our people okay and again that's why i don't have respect for cholo's dog but we'll get to that some other time right imagine all the cholos in the world that came together to elevate the fucking chicano community in a fucking powerful manner as opposed to fucking tearing it down with shit like fucking gang banging and fucking you know human trafficking drug drug abuse and drug you know proliferating among our communities Imagine if they actually got together and did some shit that actually fucking mattered for the people. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I fucking hate Cholos. One of the many reasons. But again, for now, the point is the imperative to do the shadow work to heal the trauma that we have endured growing up in the hood so that we can quit repeating these cycles that are causing us to lead meaningless lives. Like, at the end of the day, that's what it's about, dog. And this, this, that's what this hood philosophy shit is about, Okay. And that is exactly what Jung is telling us. Okay. Cognitively, he's telling us that cognitively we may be good, but the less conscious parts—the you know—that we're aware of, the emotional turmoil, and the absence of cohesive structures—they've created severe character disorders and dissociative tendencies. There's so many people running around the hood that have fucking that are acting out so much unresolved trauma, right? And it's just like fuck, man. Just if you would if. If we could have just talked about Young, right, back in the day, instead of about just fucking bitches and getting money, like, who the fuck knows where we'd be right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, who knows where we would be? But whatever the case is, whatever the case is, Young tells us that beyond being vulnerable in a normal fashion, as most egos are, these types of egos are fragile and hyper-defensive, dog. You want to get to the core of machismo? Let's start talking some shadow work here and realize why these fucking dudes are acting in such a machismo way. Why? Because it's a fragile, wounded ego that acts out in a hyper-defensive way, i.e. the machismo, in order to just continue fucking navigating and surviving. You know what I mean? That's not an out for these fucking bitch-ass dudes who act out of machismo so much as it is a call to them too. Like, you gotta do the shadow work, motherfucker, because fuck you if you don't, right? Anyways, going back to this whole ego shit and the traumatized ego, he's gonna tell us, Jung is, that these types of egos they fragment easily under stress and therefore tend to resort to primitive yet powerful defenses to wall off the world and protect the psyche from intrusion and possible harm okay jung tells us that such people they cannot trust others yet are paradoxically let down constantly and thus disappointed by others and life in general. It's like, okay, you can't trust others, but you're always let down by others. That doesn't make any sense, dog. You hate life, but you're constantly disappointed by life. Like It doesn't make any sense. Make up your mind, right? It's more likely that you do want to trust others, okay, but you have all these walled-up defenses that you've built out of the fucking need to survive the continuous letdown that you've experienced by others, okay? And instead of actually resolving, you know, The core of the frustration that you feel when you're let down by others, you've built up these walls when, you know, in order to protect you from life. But what you should be doing is fucking, you know, working to deconstruct those fucking walls and realizing that, yeah, people are going to let you down inevitably, but that's okay. That it's just another one of the conflicts in life that is going to fucking, you know, give us the opportunity to become, you know, better at life, if you will. The alternative, of course, is to just isolate ourselves from the environment because the environment is perceived as overwhelmingly threatening, and thus live our entire lives in defensive isolation. That's that's the alternative, right? Which in turn leads to all sorts of fucking inner turmoil. And the idea here is that why would you want why would you want to continue living that kind of life, homie? You get one shot at this motherfucker, dog. Don't you, don't you want to try to make it a fucking pleasurable one, right? And yeah, I guess uh in conclusion, just a quick recap for now, right? And that is that although Jung himself, you know, he's a he considered himself a psychologist there's unquestionably mad parallels between him and philosophy, especially phenomenology, right? Which isn't surprising, given that both fields really took off around the same time, right? That's the kind of the Kant's influence I already mentioned. But with the talk of intentionality and shit, for Jung, there's no doubt that Sartre and Heidegger are there as well, okay? In fact, it is known that Jung followed Kant, right? And like Kant, he viewed that there was a realm that was inaccessible to humans, Right? Um, And instead of referring to it as the numinal realm, he just called it the the ding-on-sitch, right? I don't fucking speak German, dog, right? I don't know how it is. In English, though, it's called the thing-in-itself, right? Now, I wanted to end with this little uh, thing-in-itself idea because this is where a lot of the mysticism for Jung comes into play. And that is because there's like this gray area in Jung in the space between what Kant would refer to as the numinal and the nominal world, right? Between the psychic and the non-psychic regions, okay, for Jung. And it's these regions, right? Uh, what they what they create is like a space, the border uh, that that's the a space that gives us the borders of the great mysteries in life, such as the extra psychic perception, synchronicity, miracle healings of the body, and so on, right? So that's just why I wanted to quickly throw that in there. a Quick looking forward, right? Uh, to future podcasts on this particular book on Jung, okay. And another important thing that I wanted to point out is uh, is that it's a mistake to associate the ego with the entirety of a person, okay? What that means is that the ego is simply an agent, dog, a focus of consciousness, a center of awareness. Again, it can either attribute too much or too little to human actions. Again, the whole Inside Out movie, right? But the goal is to recognize that once it has achieved sufficient autonomy and a measure of control over the consciousness... The feelings of personal freedom become a stronger feature of our ego, okay? And this, most importantly, this is what we'll end with, comes after realizing that most limitations on freedom, they don't come from outside of us, Doug, but rather they come from within us by way of the ego. So the idea here is that life opens up, quote-unquote, when we realize that we are ultimately enslaved by nothing more than our own character structure and inner demons, okay? Like, yeah, we live on a prison fucking planet, homie. Fine, who gives a fuck? At the end of the day, we're ultimately constrained by the shit that's going on within us, okay? And the idea here is to acknowledge that so that we can begin to try to fucking overcome it, right? Now, there's still so much more on ego and free will that I'll address later, but in absolute closing, I wanted to end with the idea that the ego itself it's again it's just a small piece in a larger psychological world homie right again like the earth in the solar system and a galaxy this jung tells us is a shattering realization for the egoically inclined because ultimately the freedom of the ego is constrained it's limited by this realization right he's famously quoted jung is, as saying that inside the field of consciousness the ego has free will by this i do not mean anything philosophical only the well-known psychological face of free choice, or rather the psychological freedom, or the, rather the psychological feeling of freedom. Of course, the question here is, to what extent, again, do we have free will, and to what degree are our actions instead determined by external conditioning forces and habits, okay? So this is, this is gonna be a quick little introduction. This is how we're gonna get to the Human Capital follow-up podcast. And that is just the basic idea that something as sim as simple as choosing one soda over another, it appears to be a matter of free will, but that's not the case, dog. It could be a matter of advertising. It could be a matter of unavailability of other options growing up. There's so much at fucking play here. And to just say that it's one or the other is irresponsible, basically, okay? Suffice to say, when it comes to the matter of free will, okay? our actual free will is limited dog by habit by pressure social pressure like i talked about with the homies availability conditioning political and economic forces so many other fucking factors right um but the basic gist is here that that i'm trying to convey is like how how much work it is how much work it takes to fucking to deal with this you know what i mean and come to terms with this and try to hopefully overcome all this conditioning in hopes of living a more actualized life at least for me personally right and i'll end it with a young quote where he tells us that just as circumstances and outside events happen to us and limit our freedom so the self acts upon the ego like an objective occurrence which free will can do very little to alter right we are our own worst enemies homie and as soon as we realize that the better off we'll be that's the basic gist here right and yeah that will conclude my introduction to Young for this episode of the podcast. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it, and if not, go fuck yourself. Why would you make it all the way to the very end just to be like, you know what? I did not enjoy this. Dislike, right? <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, homie. If you fucking if you did not enjoy it, that's cool, man. Um, you know, I hope you find something that you do enjoy in the future, or I hope to bring you another episode in the future that you do enjoy, right? Um, until then, I certainly, absolutely, without a doubt, still. Wish that you have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Peace.